Ingold Radio, the podcast. Glad to be with you again. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingold Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. we got some stuff coming at you. A workhorse for a short while in the National Hockey League, but an extensive career worldwide. Uh, going back to uh, one of my wheelhouses in my career in the National Hockey League, Cristobal Uwe is uh, going to stop by in our feature interview. Uh, we also have our gear segment, the PX3 uh, line with True and Kevin Woodley and Camp talk all about that as we uh, bring you in with the co-founders. Uh, they're standing by. They're ready to rock. They're all excited. Uh, I, I love it uh, because Hutch does this whole warm-up, like he's scraping the crease, and it's really cool to watch as he gets into it before he settles into his mic. And Woody, Woody's the man that's just uh, jumping around thinking, how do I narrow down my talk about the hockey shop into like 30 or 40 seconds because you've got so much to say. Impossible, impossible. And I will say, I think my tease for the hockey shop this week is basically just going to be to go watch the video on the True PX3 because as much as we have the audio on it, it doesn't do justice to the video. All the different colors, all the different patterns. They didn't just get in a bunch of white and a bunch of black. They got some really sharp sets, uh, the kind of sets that uh, if you were a fan of the Vancouver Canucks, you'd like to wear a fan of the St. Louis Blues some really yellows and blues and oranges and all kinds of colors that pop. Cam has you well supplied. And of course, as you're going to hear in the gear segment, he has the answers to your question about what PX3 is all about, where it fits, who it doesn't fit. Real important, folks, if you want a, uh, well, we'll let Cam explain. That's why we go to them. That's why we go to them for their expertise, for their selection for the latest and the greatest. And now that includes, we've unveiled sort of some of the the arrivals of the offshore versions of 12.2 and 20.2 from True. And now we've got the Made in Canada in Montreal, Lefebvre PX3 in store for you now at the Hockey Shop and online at thehockeyshop.com. Can't wait for the gear segment. And Hutch, uh, I'm curious because I can't tell where the net is when you're doing your little crease warm up uh, before you step in front of the microphone. Are you a guy that scrapes the crease parallel to the goal line or do you go horizontal to the goal line uh, beside it? Uh, I'm, I'm really uh, looking into this. How do, how do you scrape that crease? He just has to pee. Uh... <laughs> Best drop uh, Now what ever. do I say? <laughs> now what do I say? Uh, I'll just sit here and be a victim. You guys just go at me. <laughs> Just go at me. There's a uh, uh, an account out of Winnipeg. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But goalie they dance, show, Winnipeg goalie dance, I think. Yeah, uh, where they show guys come in and and do their crease scraping and their their pre period warm up uh, every time. And it's really neat to I watch both this. National Hockey League guys, a lot of Western League guys. Uh, Milich was in there uh, actually uh, the other day, and it and it's neat to watch the variety nice. of guys before they come out for the start of the second period. That's awesome. I look forward to seeing that. That's really good. And that's what, what, uh, what your warm-up reminded me of. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe my uh, my my office chair warm-up will be featured on Winnipeg Rink. Scraping, whatever the name of the it's, it's is. Yeah. And I can't believe you didn't know about it. You're definitely going to have to check I it out. I swear I haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, Big shout-out to, to them. Hey, we got some uh, All-Stars coming in. We'll get to uh, all the... Uh, additions. I want to hop in though. Big speaking yes. of big shout outs, our last guest, Thomas Millich, got a nice little shout out at the Vancouver Canucks game the other day. Like within days of us interviewing him, posting the interview, he attended a Canucks game, honored on the scoreboard, 
gold medal world junior championship winner. And I got to say, and this is perhaps an indictment of the local hockey team as well, wearing a Luongo jersey to boot. Gotta love that. Um, Probably the loudest ovation of the night. The local, as I said, hockey team hasn't given the fans much to cheer about of late, but got a massive cheer. So it was kind of cool to see, you know, right after we talked to him, he got some, he got some love from the crowd here in Vancouver, ran into him there, handed off some Ingo swag in the, uh, down in the concourse area and literally had people just recognizing him before he was introduced on the Jumbotron coming up and thanking him for what he did for the country for winning a world junior gold medal. It was kind of cool to see that to just sort of, I was handing him some stuff and like random people were just coming up and thanking him for what he did. I was like, that is, that's, that's pretty cool. I think it's pretty neat that he wears the Jersey to the game too. That's awesome. Like he goes from, from world championship final to being a fan and wearing a jersey luongo jersey baby you gotta oh, represent he said lou That's was right. his guy he said lou was his guy in the interview didn't he, he? did that uh you, you know if stuff. it was me i would have been wearing my world junior jersey uh with, with my medal yeah full cheese and, ball and, i would have gone and full a cheese. sign and yeah. a sign like a sandwich board yeah. saying i'm a world champion i just won the gold medal i probably would have had a t-shirt made up <laughs> uh we had a jersey retirement of Ryan Miller's the other night with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, that was a really cool and well-deserved moment. And for a franchise that really did, I know he started with Chicago, but launched Dominic Hasek into the National Hockey League uh, stardom, uh, Ryan Miller owns the record book with the Buffalo Sabres. He was a dominant goaltender then. I remember writing... Back in a previous iteration of my life, it got me started with uh, writing about goaltending and learning about goaltending for Goalie News. Um, the lockout edition, uh, one of the magazines we did, the cover story was Ryan Miller, American Hockey League Goalie of the Year, sort of next, you know, the next big thing in the NHL. So 0405, which tells you how old I am. Um, and then got to build a, I always loved him coming through when he came through town because he just loved to talk goaltending. And then uh, when he came here and played in Vancouver for three years, like it was like an education on the position. Anytime I had questions, he had answers. And I usually had to ask him to slow down so I could figure out exactly the level of detail that he was going into. You know, like he's the kind of guy he gave an answer and you you couldn't just nod along. You had to really think about it because a lot of thought had gone into it on his end. And beloved in Buffalo had all that success there. Vesna Trophy, a um, lot of playoff success for that franchise. And really cool to sort of see um to see that ceremony to see that that the end of it is the banner goes up in the raptors and he's there with his young family and his wife and it's i don't know just i love those things um i i i gonna i'll soapbox it and say we need one of those here in vancouver for roberto luongo i wish they would change their mind on that but i just love events like that when a guy is as connected to the city as ryan miller was to buffalo played three full years in rochester before he came up and there is a, a real contradiction at the time, Hutch, whether he should have been brought up faster or not. But the in the end, the the proof is in the result. Yeah, it's pretty hard to uh, look back and decide what you should have done. I think uh, a current American goaltender example of the same would be Thatcher Demko, wouldn't it be? As uh, somebody who sort of overcooked in the American Hockey League. And we'll always have that debate over whether one should be... Uh, taking extra time to hone their game or maybe thrust into the spotlight a little bit earlier as a few more guys are starting to be. Uh, definitely work for Miller, though. He was one of my favorites, guys, uh, growing up. It's interesting that we've got Cristobal Huey on today because 
I think for similar reasons, I really loved watching both of their games. I enjoy guys who are uh, technicians who have a whole lot of structure to their game. And it's not that they can't be incredibly athletic, but that's sort of what stood out uh, to me for both of these guys. And I don't know, it's funny listening to the interview that Huey might not see himself that way uh, as you listen to him talk about how his game is different than goaltenders today. But certainly at the time, uh, when I watched him, the structure in his game really stood out for me, and I really admired it. Yeah, there's not many that thought the game as deep as Ryan Miller. I think of Craig Anderson, uh, who can read releases and knows seems to know what's happening beforehand. But but Ryan Miller, and and, and then you get to the equipment fact uh, as well. Yeah. Oh, how good are those pro reads yeah. he's done for Woody too? I mean, just the depth he goes to on everything. We're just so lucky. I think. What are you going to have to look back into the archives now and maybe get a few more from them? Because there's uh, still going to be a lot of lessons for, for goaltenders out there listening to somebody as deep thinking. I think we've got to give him a little break. I'm bugging that guy all the time, quiet, quietly behind <laughs> the scenes with text messages, questions here, questions there. He's such a great voice. So when you're speaking on issues around the league or around the position, he's a guy I lean on perhaps a little too heavily at, at times for um, for quotes and stuff. So we'll let him enjoy this moment, but it's a good idea. Um yeah, don't forget him being the, the the goalie representative on the competition committee, right? That's exactly, exactly true. Exactly, yeah. and and so, um, roundabout when the big gear changes were and happening, and he's wasn't also um, got a voice in that process, I believe. Now, like he started to get involved with the National Hockey League in terms of uh, some of their committees and and some of their um, some of the things they have going on behind the scenes with Kay Whitmore. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, goalie equipment and making sure goalies are protected and, and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I would, I would assume he'd be a welcome voice on, on any of those types of issues. Cause he knew his equipment as well as anyone like, man, like he, like, like he knew his way around a sewing kit too, right? Like he, he yeah. could, he could do the repairs himself. I witnessed him, uh, you know, he's a guy that changed you. And this is interesting. We're going to have this in a gear segment coming up. He's a guy that would change his blocker board somewhat regularly. Uh, I'm not sure Joe average goalie realizes just how damaged that blocker board gets inside your blocker and, you know, how as it gets misshapen with all those repeated impacts that might affect your ability to perfectly steer one into the corner. So he regularly switched out his blocker boards Um, and just the way he thought the game, Darren, like I'm not even sure the pro reads do justice because to me, he was one of the last guys that would set people up. Right. Like not everything was about square and centered all the time. Like he would bait guys. He would, you know, put himself in a position to encourage. If he wanted to pass, he would set it up to encourage that guy to pass on on whether it was an odd man rush or a situation down low. Like there was an element of I'm going to show you something. And I don't just mean like I'm going to show you glove and take it away. I mean, more sort of how he positioned himself, how he moved to set guys up to make the play that he was hoping they would make or, or, or set them up knowing that play was coming and, and being prepared for it. And some of that comes through in his pro reads, but I'm not even sure you can do justice to, it's kind of a bit of a lost art, right? He may have been the last guy that sort of played like that. Maybe Craig Anderson as well, but it's a pretty short list. Another person from uh, his era, Cristobal away coming up in our feature interview brought to you by Sensorino. Uh, we'll get to Woody and Cristobal in just a little bit, but the all-star additions were announced last week. I uh, want to make sure that we acknowledge uh, the guys that were added to the team by a fan voting. And uh, we've got the likes of Stuart Skinner, another rookie Pacific division has two rookies uh, going with Logan Thompson. UC Saros is joined by Vezin trophy winner, Connor Hellebuck. And uh, in the, 
uh, Atlantic Division. You've got uh, a couple of uh, guys that are really, really impressive in Linus Allmark and Andre Vasilevsky and Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin from the Metropolitan. Uh, Hutch, who, who are you taking as your tandem if you're going to select one to win it all? Pretty hard to go away from Allmark and Vasilevsky, isn't it? I mean, if you just sort of look at that board and say who are guys that stand out, I mean, Vasilevsky being the incredible acrobat, his ability to steal a game uh, stands out. And then Linus Allmark, who's sort of running away with everything this year. So hard to go against those. But I'm going to be watching Sorokin and Shesterkin because, you know, I've always been a Sorokin fan. And I'm thinking if they're smart in the wide open three on three game, we could see a little bit of extra puck handling from Shesterkin. Uh, a guy who loves to sling the biscuit and could be interesting to see if they know how to use him properly. And that's always fun. So I love puck handling goaltenders. So I'm going to go with those two as the ones that I would like to see do well. Ooh, threw the monkey wrench in there with the puck handling. Hadn't even thought of it. And Shesterkin can chuck it. Um, and mm-hmm. so efficient and smart with his reads on that. Ooh, I like that one. Honestly, they should throw out the rule about not being able to touch the puck on the other side of center, by the way. I mean, that in the game period, but I'd love to see him skate up ice with it. Why does that rule even exist? I know it's an old rule. It's grandfathered, yeah. I guess back when, yeah, is it old enough that it's back when goalies were barely goalies? They were just yeah. like players with cricket pads on or something. And But then, like, if you're going to take the risk, take the risk. It's a ridiculous rule. Doesn't make any sense now. Like, get rid of it. It's just, it's just taken up ink in the in the record book uh right now i mean the odd time you'll see that penalty called right is the guy's making the long change in the second period and i sort just of remember Juan making the, the rush puck, uh, that's that's well, the only that's time it really unreal. comes up unreal 100 that's the moment that yeah. stood out for me uh stewart skinner stewart skinner and logan thompson two rookies as a tandem Incredible. yeah and like we talked about Incredible. like like i don't know that you can pick a style that necessarily works for an all-star game for three on three but Logan Thompson's got that battle to him. He's got that, un- like, I think there's an element of unpredictability. And I say that in a positive way in Logan's game. Like, it doesn't always look the same. And I wonder if uh, he might have a little fun out there in a three-on-three environment as well. I could I could see that. Him and, him and Stewart are, like, it's funny, like, two rookies, yes. And pretty, I don't know if that's unprecedented off the top of my head, but I'm guessing it's a pretty short list of times we've seen that. Um, but two guys who all... Two guys who also play the position in very or have success in very different ways. Like Stewart is is a very well structured, efficient goaltender, and Logan's got you know Logan's got a lot more flair and read and and um, sort of flow to his game compared to Stewart. Stewart one's a little more outside in, and Stewart's very much goal line out. So um, that'll that'll be interesting to watch them as well. I'm excited for both of them. It's a, it's a great opportunity, and yet like as goalies, like you're honored. But I've talked to a lot over the year that are like, oh, man, like that is like the cream of the crop offensively with no checking in a wide open three on three environment like that is tough. I think the underreported part of this is that the Pacific Division is going with three goaltenders uh, because nobody's picked up on it. That is Logan, it's Stewart, and then Stuart Skinner's mustache is the is the alternate uh, goaltender like that. That thing deserves a, an appearance fee in on its own. That it is. Darren, you going to start a new Twitter yes. account? Stuart Skinner's that, mustache. It's, it's outstanding. It is 1970s Stuart, classic. Stuart's, Stuart's, Stuart's in here in Vancouver here. 
uh, for a game against the Canucks. And like, I'm thinking of shaving my whole beard just because of the shame. My whole, all my facial hair will just feel shame next, standing next to him and talking to him. True story. I thought it was Glenn Anderson <laughs> the first time I saw him. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Slightly beefier version. It, it was unbelievable the way it, the, the way it jumped out. No, good for him. Uh, uh, with two rookies, and that is unprecedented. The last rookie voted to or to play in an All Star game was John Gibson, uh, and it hasn't happened with with two rookies uh, in in this format. It's uh, unbelievable uh, what we've got going here. Uh, Cristobal Obey is waiting in the green room, so Cristobal, uh, we'll get to you in just a second. But uh, the gear segment brought to you by the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Langley. We're dealing with the True PX3. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. We're here in the goalie corner, Cam's corner, Cam's crease, whatever you want to call it. Still working on that. I prefer goalie utopia. And it is somewhat utopic today because we have the new, like, it's January, but it's Christmas at the Hockey Shop. That we was got, a stretch. We got new. That's a stretch. We got, we got new gear. <laughs> new gear. Catalyst PX3 from True. Um, we've teased this. We've talked about it. You've seen it at the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Cam now has it in store, made at the factory in Montreal by the Lefebvre's. Cam, walk me through the PX3. Uh, I got a cool little origin story to tell you in terms of some of the development of this pad and the role Freddie Anderson played in it. But just let's first, let's go over the feature. Well, fe- features, feature. It's like one well, the biggest feature. So behind me, I'm going to have... A 12.2 L87, so that's just the, uh, the retro graphic. But why I have this pad here is that if we look, thigh rise, quite important. So 12.2, still quite thick up top. Now, Kevin takes that wonderful St. Louis-inspired set that he's got sitting in front of him there. If he can figure it out, there we go. Turns it towards the camera. You can see how that thigh quite a bit thinner. Main benefit here. You're in a deeper, lower, wider stance. You're having those pad tips come in front of each other and cross. Having that thinner thigh rise allows that dominant leg still to come in front without that pad binding and smacking into each other. So it's allowing, again... Less pad interference. Correct. Especially as you're pushing around, lower, deeper stance, that's where you're going to find its biggest benefit. So that's one of the key features. And before we move on to the other key features, origin story time. Freddie Anderson, Carolina Hurricanes was playing in pads that were a little shorter than his maximum height. Has been for years. Dating back to his days in Bauer, he would actually have them make them smaller than his max allowable. And I've actually had him demonstrate this in the locker room when he was in the Leafs, doing carpet flies, showing me how the shorter pads still close the five hole perfectly. But that's an ideal butterfly. The reality of goaltending is we're not always in an ideal butterfly. So it's in those moments where you're extended, where the pads aren't perfectly together, where you're moving, where you don't want to lose that inch, inch and a half, or two inches of coverage that you can have. The answer, courtesy of True, was to thin out the top of the thigh rise and get him comfortable with it. Now, one of the issues that arised in the early versions was it was too floppy. And Freddie actually got a camera out and videoed as the goalie coach shot pads off the thigh rise to show how much movement there was. So again, I love this because it's pro-feedback leading to product innovation and, and product design improvements. What did they do? They reinforced the thigh rise. 
And so in addition we're talking, to being thinner, right. this baby is stiff. Oh yeah. So from the knee up, if you're looking at this pad, like when we talk about uh, style of play and preferences, and, and I gotta be honest, in the National Hockey League, the most common pad profile these days is softer boot, stiffer from the knee up, and that's what we're seeing here. Um, relatively straight or fairly straight, very stiff knee up. But again, the beauty is you're not going to get that sort of trap door where it hits the thigh rise on, on a thinner thigh rise and, and allows the puck to get through. Correct. And that's what we kind of want to drive home here a little bit is obviously, again, as Kevin pointed out, that stiffness that is existing above that knee. But you're still obviously getting that soft boot. So, you know, 12.2 wears you're still going to have a familiar feeling pad basically through and through. What you're really going to notice though, again, that less of that fold, less of that flex up top. The 12-2 can already be a stiffer pad above the knee depending on how exactly you set it up on the customizer itself. Um, but this is something... There's another level of stiffness? Yeah, I would put it as another level of stiffness. That's now, the best way to describe it. Quick question for you, because these ones are all from the knee up relatively straight. Correct. Uh, is there a pre-curve option that you can get where you can have this stiffness with a little bit more of that traditional sort of rounded top? Now, you don't want to see this is one of the things, though, is that you don't want to soften up this pad too much or you're going to run into that issue of that trap door. So, no, to answer your question. Um, you, Again, this isn't a so pad again, that all So again, like this is like, and this is just, you know, for people that are like trying to figure out where this pad fits, Correct. if you want that more of a sort of rounded pre-curved top, there are other options for you. You want a double true. break, you want something softer like that, back to the 12-2. Okay, right. so there all are right, still so some more features. Let's go into the other features. My apologies. I sidetracked us with story time with Kevin. <laughs> no worries. So actually, uh, starting with the knee flap itself. Um, trim down and actually something that's a little bit better. So if you do strap up to behind your knee, that will wrap around the back of your knee a little bit easier rather than being the rounded block, which we've seen on previous iterations uh, of the pad itself, whereas this can bind up and catch a little bit. This tucks behind the knee a little bit easier, um, allows that uh, still to get that good wrap, but without that interference level that you potentially get from that basically round dough, uh, almost bagel shape we'll call and, it and of course if you want to strap it down around the calf that's there too pencils have erasers these are removable pencils have erasers there you go okay fast rotation strap guys okay, some changes here um most notable change from say the 20.2 to this uh we do find that that fast rotation strap now on the uh, inside of like your side service and whatnot, we're finding that fast rotation strap coming down almost to basically the ankle of, of the skate. So creating a little bit more wrap to the pad, a little bit more connectivity, especially in that down low. Um, now the strap position is the same. It's just got an extension down on the inside of the leg. So correct. You're not actually tightening that section. It's just an extension. No, but even that level of connectivity, we call it that like safety blanket feel, for example. So if you're looking for a little bit more wrap, also feeling that pad as you're, you know, sliding through or, or setting into your stance and having that, that feel of, you know, at least something being there. Uh, once again, it's just something that's been kind of added and worth uh, calling up. So now for super scientific measurement time, just out of wonderful curiosity, how much thinner is that thigh rise? So on a 12 view, we can go. Inches, we'll call it just a little over two inches. And this is a 33 uh, plus two pad here. So 
again. Okay, well, I got this one right here. Ooh. Just slightly about an inch and a half. So it's almost a half inch thinner in the upper thigh portion of the pad. So again, less interference when you're dropping into the butterfly, less likelihood that the pads are going to hit each other and cause problems. Chances are if you, you do have a little bit sort of overlap, the pad will still get to the ice without causing interference. So that's one of the big thoughts behind that. I imagine it probably cuts a little bit weight. We don't have a scale in front of us to tell you exactly how much, but it, doesn't, it feels like that's not the primary focus. Here. No, no. I, I would agree on that uh, aspect. Um, one other quick note. Gloves. So if you liked the 20.2 and the 12.2, the good news is the gloves haven't changed. They're the exact same thing, just new graphic. Obviously, you can still order 600, 580, 590, whatever your preference is. Get a nice 580 here in front of me here. Uh, I also got a 590 sitting over there. Um, once again, like it, it's whatever you want in terms of for ordering custom. Um, that's all based off of preference. You can always talk about that on the phone. 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. If you want to chat about the PX pad, gloves, what brake angle is right for you? Is this thinner thigh rise going to work for me? We can chat about it. And if you want to find all these options online, check them out at thehockeyshop.com. All the different colorways that they have, as Cam said, they've got different brake angles on different gloves with different colors. In stock now, hockeyshop.com, PX3, live, ready to go. You want to come in and do some carpet flies like Freddie Anderson in the actual pads he was wearing at the start of the season. This is the place to be, Goalie Corner with Cam. Thanks for walking us through the, the PX3. Thanks, Kev. Was there a, a part of that experience with Cam, Woody, that, that leaves you more uh, impressed than anything else? Uh, you know, do we need to pump his tires that much? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I always enjoy my time with Cam. Just kidding. And uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I was going to throw somebody else under the bus here from the hockey shop because they were bringing out, these literally just arrived. So they were bringing out an extra set uh different colors right just to sort of all the different colors and uh one of the staffers was sliding the box along the board and he hit uh he hit sort of the skate section where they got the rubber floor and i guess there's a ridge there and the whole box just disintegrated and opened like a like it was like a surprise package but because he was yeah. pushing it with speed as the box blew up all of a sudden there was just all these pads and this staffer doing like the like slide along the floor as we're trying to set up they got so much px3 they couldn't get it out for us fast enough so um always a good time talking gear with cam and we've got some you know there's a gonna be a couple lulls here we got some more new equipment coming in a couple weeks um but we're gonna we're gonna start getting into some other topics things that are a little more you know evergreen not necessarily just new gear we talked about masks. We're going to get into gear repair, um, you know, relacing gloves, all the different services that they do there, repairing, skate cuts, what can you do, where you kind of just SOL, um, toe bindings, all the things that Cecil and his crew do there beyond sh skate sharpening. Plus, we're going to get into blade profiling and some of the unique custom radiuses, goalie specific, that you can get from the hockey shop. So uh, always fun talking with Cam. But sometimes, you see, you pump up his ego. Now I got to go talk to somebody else about all the things they do. So we'll check out Cecil and the sharpening in the near future, too. Cristobal Uwe coming up in just a little bit. He'll make his way into our 
Ingle Radio, the podcast studio. Uh, but first, a word from Sensorina Hutch. It is going to be a really cool week, boys. Get your Sensorina headsets out. Check out what's new. We teased it last week. It is now live. The Winter Classic Outdoor Rink is available in Sensorina. You want to get out there? Be amongst the mountains, the outdoors of, I, I think it's the Lake Tahoe rink, isn't it? You can go out there and train in just the most incredible setting for hockey. It's spectacular. And to celebrate adding the Winter Classic outdoor rink, and don't forget the NHL shooters that were recently added, Sensorina's got a competition coming up starting Monday, Monday, the 23rd of January. For 14 days, there will be 14 drills. Get out there every day, participate in the competition drills, and there is over $3,000 worth of prizes being awarded by Sensorina. The outdoor rink is available until the 21st of February to every user. And uh, after that, it's going to just be there for the pro users. And that's just sort of to highlight that there are now three different packages if you want to get into Sensorina in a way that's maybe a little bit more affordable. Uh, one, of course, is the new seven-day trial so it doesn't cost you anything to try Sensorina if you already have the oculus headset they've got a mo slightly more affordable 29 dollar subset of drills uh if you want to get out there and do that training and take advantage of it and then if you want of course the full meal deal is the 49 i think it's us dollars we're talking here um that will have absolutely everything right up to the nhl shooters and now this outdoor rink but it's all available for everybody right now Go check it out. Get involved in the competition starting this Monday. See if you can keep up with Darren. Yeah. Compare with me, please. And uh, we'll see how good you really are. Because I'm not lying. I'm pretty darn good. Darren Millard faces NHL <laughs> exactly. shooters all the time. This is nothing yeah, for him. I mean, let, let's really put it on the line. I'm you know, awesome. You know where I'm going to dominate this drill? Dominate. Dominate. Where? I'm going to do the Eric Comrie version where you just sit there and watch pucks go by you. And have a perfect score. Perfect score. <laughs> 0 for 10. 0 for 10. 0 for 10. And, Reaction time no, no. zero. And, I'm, and then when he accidentally, I'm working on something here, guys. And when he accidentally stops one, he's going to start over. He's got, darn it. <laughs> Crap, do it, it again. Ruined it. it ruined it. Uh, I love this conversation with Cristobal away because uh, underappreciated uh, both in style and his kits, his looks were awesome. Uh, I loved uh, the way uh, he worked his way around the net and a long career, uh, Woody. I love this. Get When you told me that you were going to talk to him, I was really envious. Yeah, and then we'll get into like, you know, the he's going and the reason we talked to him, I think we kind of, I don't know if we've even touched on this yet, like he's been inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame, which is quite the honor. Um, you know, and yes, the NHL career wasn't as long. Um, but the things he did internationally, especially at the World Championships for France, are so impressive. And we'll get into some of the numbers as we talk to him, some of the, like, how long he played up till age 42. And, of course, we probably should have mentioned that he's goalie coach now in the Swiss League of Lausanne. So, um, you know, real chance to bring sort of updating the position technically. And it, it was interesting to talk to him about some of the things that um, translate tactically, technically still but also just the mindset things that he learned. Like he's such a chill, relaxed guy. I think he comes by that very naturally. So how do you, how do you help teach that to others um, now that he's on the coaching side of things? So we went down a lot of different paths, a lot of different roads. He's a guy that I agree with you, Darren. I think 
There's probably people that didn't want, you know, if you weren't a fan of the NHL when he was in it, underappreciated is probably a good word because he was, he was a really good goaltender when he was here. And um, I, I just think it, it's been a while, so people may have forgotten that a little bit. Uh, but he had a hell of a career both here and overseas and has some really good uh, thoughts on the game and the position that he shared with us. Broke in with Los Angeles, uh, spent a significant time in Montreal, a pit stop in Washington, and finished off with Chicago and had great looks all the way along. It is Cristobal Uwe, French, and in the IIHF Hockey Hall of Fame, soon to be on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina. Really excited to welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast, first time guest, uh, a voice from the past for me, somebody I haven't talked to in years. Um, he probably remembers me with all the annoying questions when he was coming through town here in Vancouver back in his days uh, with Los Angeles, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, Cristobal Huey. Cristobal, thanks so much for joining us. And first off, congratulations, being inducted this May to the IIHF Hall of Fame. That's, that's an incredible honor. How you how you feeling about that? Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great honor. Obviously, I've been, uh, you know, I've been playing a lot of uh, World Championship and uh, my class is pretty good too with uh, Zetterberg and Brian Leach too. It's, uh, it's pretty an honor to be an associate with those guys and uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and the event, it's, I mean, probably fitting that the event and, and the ceremony itself ties into the World Championships, uh, you know, an event that, you know, you made your own for so many years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over almost, uh, not almost, actually 20 years, I've been, I've been, you know, spending a lot of times with the national team, uh, you know, when you're part of a small country, uh, hockey, hockey country, it's uh it's it's pretty demanding. It's uh it's do or die every year, especially for France. And uh so I was really committed to be to be part of that uh that team. And uh honestly I created a lot of uh, great things over over that span of years and uh, it was not always easy with the NHL, I um I have to admit, but um you know, I made some 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 friends for life with the national team and uh uh, we had some 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 great times. Obviously, never won anything, but but our wins were uh, to to compete against the the best uh, best nation in the world. I was going to say the wins were to get there. In many years, it wasn't just that you had to be at the World Championships. It was that you had to help France qualify for the World Championships in a lot of years and two Olympic games as well. You mentioned twenty years. Obviously, there was a, a lot of fanfare around your last game against Slovenia at age forty two which is remarkable in its own right. But that means your first one was at age 22. What do you remember about being on the world stage at such a young age? Well, that was, that was a big stage for me. I, 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 I didn't compete as I, I, you know, I was not really, but, uh, you know, props to the, the national team to, for throwing me in and, and, uh, and see what I had to do to develop myself and be a competitive at international level. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it was it was uh, it was eye opening experience at the beginning. Of course, at the end, uh, it was a bit different. I was I was playing 
a bit more the, the important games. I was not playing against Canada and those big games. And it was good for the other goalie of the French national team to, to, to play those games. And, and actually they did pretty good most of the time. And, uh, that's how I started too. And, uh, my goal was really to to win those uh, those games against teams that were we were a bit uh, closer and we wanted to win those ones. I want to catch everyone up. Um, since you stopped playing in 2017, you've been coaching for the last five years in the Swiss League with Lausanne, who you finished your career with. So I want to get into sort of that that transition into coaching from playing. Um, but first off, let, let's go back. Second French player to ever ever play in the NHL, first one to win a Stanley Cup. Where does it start for you in terms of the sport and then the position and the passion you clearly have for it to have played it so long and continue working in it? Oh, the passion started uh, way early when I was in France. Uh, me and my brother were very passionate about the game. We're playing outside and uh, we brought in friends and, and break everything on the, on the streets and everything like that. So we were really like, you know, major Canadians, <laughs> hockey kids. and. Uh, yeah, my brother is still in the hockey. I mean, we were, like I said, I'm still passionate about the game. But uh, so I grew up in France and playing in um, in a pretty good uh, hockey city. You know, we won a lot of championship when when I grew up in the junior junior level, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have the my uh, professional team in Grenoble to throw, throw me in at uh, 19, I guess, or something like that. And, uh, you know, again, I, I wasn't perfect at the beginning, but I, I ended up, uh, you know, we ended up winning the championship. And after that, I had opportunity with the national team. Like I said, um, then I ended up playing in Switzerland. And then, obviously, things uh, got eat up a little bit more when you play in a better championship. And uh, I was probably a better better athlete too. I had a first-time goalie coach. You know, it's not that long. that I never had a goalie coach until I was 22. So it's it's kind of crazy when you think of now kids have a goalie coach when they start at 10 or, or 12 now. So... Well, so I wanted to ask you, I was curious about that background because it was, I mean, in a country where, I mean, goaltending coaches weren't as common back then anyways, but in a country where hockey was not necessarily the primary sport, what, without that coaching at your disposal, how'd you get better? Like, did you, did you watch other goalies within the French pro league? Um, were you watching any NHL guys? Were there guys you looked up to? And at what point do you go from just playing the game to maybe mimicking other goalies? And just walk me through how you got to that level being self-taught for the most part. Yeah, I think it was uh, watching the other goalie. Honestly, it was, uh, it was only that. And uh, so it was my, we had a chance. We had some pretty good goalies in, in my hometown. Well, not as good as the NHL level, but uh, still, you know, I learned, I learned a lot watching them. And then, uh, in um, in the nineties, we had a chance to to see some NHL games uh, in France. That was a, also a big eye opener. I went to the Pee Wee tournament, stuff like that, where you start looking up to the to the Patrick Roy. And uh, yeah, I mean, at that time, it was a big re- revolution in in the hockey goalie world with the you know Francois system and 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 those things. Um, 
I was raw talent. I was talented, obviously, for my country anyway. But, uh, you know, that, that put a bit of a structure into, into the game. And uh, the other thing I have to say is that I went in, I think it was 96, so I was 21. I went to the Francois Air camp in, in, in Switzerland. And that, that, changed, that changed a lot of my way of approaching uh, how to play, how to be structured within the game. Obviously, still being able to, to sprawl and, and, and put the, the extra effort in. And, uh, you know, the ASIC style was, was, you know, was at that time. Uh, so I was, I was a bit of combine of this, but at least uh, I could get up on my good leg and stuff like that and, and then think about those, those things that made sense at the time. And would that have been your first exposure to it? Like you said, the Allaire camp. And it, it's funny, I mean, speaking of Switzerland, Jonas Hiller, I, w- I just happened to find a quote that he sent me the other day because I was reworking on a story about Allaire and about his impact in the game. And I found a quote from Jonas basically saying, without Allaire in Switzerland, there are no Swiss goalies in the NHL. I don't know if that's a bit of an overstatement, but the impact that he had with those camps in the summer, you saw it firsthand. Yeah, and I think uh, that camp in 96, I don't want to be mistaken, but I think uh, I know David Ebisher was with, was, uh, with me because we, we talked about this. Uh, Martin Gerber was there. And I think Jonas um, might have been there or maybe the year after. So three guys that, uh, that uh, someone, uh, the Stanley Cup and, and uh, Jonas had a hell of a career in the NHL. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I think he got... He helped them a lot uh, to go uh, um, across the the ocean, but but uh, still, I mean, it was uh, it was pretty funny when you talk about when we see each other here in Switzerland that uh, the background was the same. We had different age at at the time, but uh, he certainly did a lot for those guys and and myself. You talked about things like proper leg recovery, getting up off the right leg. How big an adjustment was it? Like to be at that age to have played on instinct for so long and then to have all those elements, was it a tough jump? Or in some ways, was it easier to learn it later than maybe like, can you see the positives in getting it later in life as opposed to when you were, like you said, like kids these days, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, they get a lot of technical instruction. Well, uh, you know, it's a different, different view. I think now, uh, I think it's good that the kids have it now. But they, they they should probably work on on the stuff we were working at the time, which is like dispersion saves or you know like the extra effort that you you got caught sometimes, obviously. And uh, for us, it was the other way around. We were always caught, <laughs> so, so <laughs> we were only working on this. Well, but if you if you're always caught, that means you got to find a way to recover, right? You there's you sort of learn things on your own a little bit about when how not to get caught as often. I would imagine that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, those kids sometimes are like, they, they work a lot on technique and, and, and it's good for them also to, to have, to fight a bit, to, to react to some, you know, situations where it's not supposed to happen. But um, no, I think the better, the sooner is the better. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I had to think about it when I, I was in the net back then. I was uh, old enough to have uh, you know, get used to a certain way of playing. And it was a, an adjustment that wasn't easy for me. 
So from from that camp and the opportunities that your success in the French League opened up, you end up going to Switzerland to play pro. Had you started to think about the NHL back then, or was it not till you arrived in Switzerland that that sort of started to become an option? Was there a point where a career on this side of the pond was realistic to you? No, honestly, and not at all. Like I was trying to 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 compete in Switzerland. I was in imports and. Uh, I was been uh, year to year, you know, up, like goals basically trying to be to be the best I I could during that time. But again, I had a chance to be with Tom Edikan, a Canadian goalie coach, who was there with me, and uh, you know we had a great relationships. And he uh, he actually opened my eyes uh, on the fact that uh, maybe I, I should think about the next level, you know, and and. Um, I was a bit naive. I, I thought it was not, it was bigger level for me. It was, I was not good enough, but uh, yeah, he opened my eyes a lot. We worked a lot and uh, it happens actually. Now it happens in a way that, you know, the rules have changed, but back then you could still be drafted at age 26. Cause I, I had to, I did a little double take cause I've forgotten yeah. how much the rules have changed. I saw 2001 draft and I did a little math and I'm like, he was 26 years old. What was that like? What was that experience like? Did you were you aware of the possibility, or did you just all of a sudden get a call like, "Hey, the Los Angeles Kings draft you"? What do you remember of being drafted into the NHL? So yeah, in Switzerland, we won the, the championship my first year, and we ended up in the final the next two years. At uh, at uh, some some great uh, years there, our team was great too. Um, and then uh, some scout came a bit to see what you know, what was going on in Lugano and why, and, you know, the word spread a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I knew it was some possibility in, in 2001 that I would eventually get uh, something out, but I was not looking up for that. Actually, I was really, like I said, I was, I was, I was always been a day-to-day guy. Uh, I try to get better every day and, and not look forward to things. And uh, that, that worked great for me. And um, so Tom, Tom called me in the summer and I was, I was uh, in Lugano home working in the summer. And uh, he said, hey, you've been drafted by the LA Kings. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I, don't, I didn't know what, what it meant for me, you know. And then uh, I went there in, uh, in the prospect camp. And uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to be part of that for sure. You talk about that mindset, that day by day mindset. Um, as much as you know, it doesn't seem to matter how many big picture questions I throw at you. It comes back to that. Is there a really good lesson there, Cristobal, for for all goalies, for young goalies, that you know about the importance of focusing on the task at hand, whether it's the next shot in a game or what you have to do each day to get better, rather than getting caught up in the big picture. Well, it's not always easy. It's a process that you have to sometimes uh, go back to it, but. Uh... Uh, especially now the kids you know <laughs> they want they want always more always more and uh i think it's uh it's a pretty good thing for them to keep them in the day to day and uh, not look up for the next day you have to go through this day to to get better and uh i mean it worked great for me i'm 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 my my kids are playing goalie i i work a bit with the kids here in Lausanne and uh that that's that's something for sure I insist on, and 
you know, even for players, I think it's not specific for goalies. Uh, it's a it's it's a good it's a good way of approaching uh, development. Interesting that like we see a lot of kids have to learn techniques like different tools and mechanisms to help keep them in the moment. It sounds like it comes quite naturally to you. Were there any points along the way in your career where you had to remind yourself or where other people helped remind you about the importance of that or and ways that you found to to not let your mind look too far ahead to stay in the moment? Oh yeah, for sure. I uh well, I think after the year after I was drafted in 2001, I spent the the, the, ne- the year after in Lugano, and that was a struggle year. I was uh, my 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 mind was a bit uh, in uh, LA, and uh, what am I gonna do next? And uh, it happened to me. I think also my my first year in Chicago when I signed that big deal it was. Um, you know, it's a mental thing. It's really a mental thing. Even if you want to, if you want to have that process, sometimes you get caught in uh, thinking of, uh, you know, uh, especially those times where you get drafted. You you think you might have a chance to go there, and and you have to play there, and you you forget you forget a, a bit of the importance of the day to day. So yeah, it happens to me for sure. Yeah, any lesson, like any like great life lessons that you can pass along to help other kids. Were there any techniques that you used, or was it just more trying to focus yourself? Because I, I do think, and not to dwell on it too much, but I think you know, next shot or staying in the moment might be the easiest thing to do in every activity, and whether it's life or sports, sometimes the hardest thing to actually achieve. Easiest thing to say, hardest thing to achieve. Well, I think it worked for me most of the time, but those years, it, it, it was a, really a struggle to to really uh, keep doing that. Um, I think in Chicago, it took me a few months to really like a bit let go on, on the contract and then, you know, just play the game and, and, and have fun with it. And uh, in Lugano, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but... Um, I was, sometimes you're not playing well and uh, it's it's even a bigger struggle and it's you know it spins a little bit it spins and uh coaching and, and confidence and, and there's other stuff than just just yourself obviously when you're part of a team yeah you um come over play a couple of years with the kings what was the biggest adjustment what were some of the influences like you talked about the influences over there in terms of getting goalie coaching late now you're in the nhl at a time actually where you know, it's kind of hard to believe now because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but not everybody had a goalie coach. Not every team had, you know, goalie coaches in the minor leagues. What, how did it compare for you coming over and what were some of the toughest or or biggest lessons? Well, it's, it was the competition. When you come come for camp, there's six, seven, eight goalies <laughs> first week. And it's really up to, well, I'm going to have to show those guys that I'm, I'm better than them. I have to show the coach. Yeah, have to do everything to to show that you belong and you're better than the other guys. Uh, with all respect to the other guys, of course. But uh, um, and then um, yeah, the goalie coach. Uh, I mean, my first year was not too much of a of a, an effect because I was really down in the minors and then a bit up uh, at the end of the season. So you know, you just it was more of a just about to get get back in the NHL and and try to to be the best you can. I think that was the the, the thing that uh, really uh, struck me when I, when I came in LA my first year. It's interesting you talk about having to make an impression 
and, and show that you're better than them. And yet the other part about this position that is generally too, true is trying harder isn't always the best recipe for success. Sometimes if you try too hard as a goalie, things can go the wrong way. Did you have to find that balance, especially in that training camp environment where you want to prove that yourself and yet you still have to let the game and the puck come to you? Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, you know me pretty well. I was always a bit laid back in, in the net, but just uh, it was it was also, you know, being ready for every practice more like that than, you know, trying to do too much. But uh, being a pro. Sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. Make sure I was I was ready mentally and physically to to compete uh, at the camp and um, it worked well. I mean, they, I made a good impression. I get sent down in the minors and uh, the same process happened for me in the minors. Uh, we had uh, Bruce Boudreau uh, back then and uh, Travis Scott was the other goalie with me and you know they gave us a twenty game warning. Uh, <laughs> who is the best after? We'll we'll eventually. Uh, play more and being being called up so you know it was uh it was a different different system for me for sure it was uh, back to square zero for me uh in europe uh, i had a small name and back there i was i was a nobody so it was a uh, do again started zero and um yeah, I mean it was great. You need you need to be humble and and, and start over and and show and show everybody what you can do. Um, you mentioned uh, you know that being a pro preparation, like battling just by being prepared every day. Um, is that a lesson you have to pass along now as a as a professional goalie coach? Like, is that part of the process when you've got young prospects coming up? And what would you outline as the keys if if say you had a young goaler goalie coming into Lausanne for the first time? What would what would be some of the things you emphasize to to them when because we hear that phrase a lot being a pro what does it mean to you and what would you tell them to achieve that? Well, um, I think it's uh, it's not always easy for them to to understand what it takes now, especially it's 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 much more demanding that uh, in the nineties or early two thousand goalies are are well prepared athletes now. Uh, that's the first thing uh, I would say, especially how the game is going. It's it's faster and faster, so they need to be really uh, top shape to to be able to to you know follow the game. And then and then it's all the, the little thing before before practice. Make sure your body is ready, and then you, you you go for an hour full tilt, and and then you you reset, and you you have time to to rest your body. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, juniors in in Switzerland they play a lot of games too, so it's it's pretty good, pretty good um, lesson for them to to handle the, the the charge of you know playing playing a lot of games. But uh, so that's that's what. I, and then what we talk about just the daily basis, the be better every day. I think it's it's something and. If there is something in the game that they feel like they, they should work on, then work on that. Make sure they're technically aware. And then I think it's a, it's a battle when you come to the game. That um, preparation and getting ready, we've seen over the years, like there are so many different routines that guys have. You said yourself, you were really laid back, but we can see guys with, you know, whether it's juggling, warming up the body, warming up the eyes, warming up the brain. 
Sometimes those little things, they add them over their career and it can become too big. Was that ever an issue for you? I'm guessing not for you, but have you ever seen that with other goalies where there can be too much preparation, they can become consumed by it and maybe even worn out by it? Have you, have you, is that something you've ever come across with some of your young goalies that you had to say, hey, like, be like me, relax? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've seen that. You know, it, it's, it's, it's tough because for some of them, it's a way of being secure. And I think if, if they think if they don't do it, if you do the same routine every day, it's going to make them, you know, feel secure. Um, and it's good. Don't get me wrong. But when it's too much and you add up things every time you want to, you know, uh, there's a line there. I think there's a line where you have to, to, to do something that makes sense. And if you don't do it one day, it's not going to be the end of the world. You've been, you've been practicing the whole week or you know, the whole year for purpose. And uh, that's where you did your job. It's not the day uh, of the game that's, uh, that's going to change something. That's, that's, that's how I see it a bit. Kind of like preparing for a test when you're in school, right? If you're, if you're ready, you're ready. Exactly. exactly. You, don't, you, don't, you don't prepare the same day when you go for a test. See, now the one test I don't think anyone can prepare for is being goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. You get traded to Montreal um, I mean, the history of that franchise, you, you know, a layer obviously already through your work in Switzerland, you know, but, uh, whether it's Dryden or Plant, I mean, Waugh, the names that are associated with the position in that franchise, did you feel any of that pressure at any point was as much as you're just going there to be a goalie? Did, were you aware of it? I was uh, very well aware of it, uh, because, um, I, I was injured my first, um, uh, few months uh, during the lockout in Germany I injured my knees so I was uh, watching all the games from the press box and I was uh, getting ready with uh, Broly Melanson on the ice and uh, I get a very good taste of uh, what is it to be a Montreal Canadiens during that time and it was great for me honestly I, I, I really enjoy you know feeling that atmosphere and feeling what it feels to be a Montreal Canadian. I was at the stage of my career where it was uh, pretty important for me to 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 be to be good and uh, honestly as weird as it sounds i didn't have any pressure i i was just there to play as good as i could for probably the best nhl team or historic wise i mean uh and uh, I enjoy every second of it. So that 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 was that was funny. I'm, I'm, there's not all guys that can say that, but uh, I think there's the team was you know average, and we're competing for for a playoff spot, and uh, uh, so expectation were you know average also, and uh, there was no expectation on me. So yeah, all those things. Um, you know, made me just play the game for the best NHL team. It sounds like there's some lessons there in, ter- in terms of how you how you approached it and the mindset. I'm curious um, what you recall of your work. I mean, now as a goalie coach with Roly Melanson, uh, a coach I had the pleasure of watching work here in Vancouver for a number of years, uh, attention to detail, getting guys ready with drills that made them good feel good about, uh, for games, especially. 
Um, what, what are your memories? What did you take away from your time with Rolly? Is there anything you still apply as a goalie coach now from that time? Yeah, a lot. We can go back to that after, but uh, I, I use a lot of things from, from Rolly. Uh, first, uh, when I was able to practice in Montreal, he said to me, you're not, you're not big enough, you're, you're, but you're going to have to play big. You're going to have to play bigger. So we work uh, a lot on the, the posture and the ways for me to to take the net uh, away and, and, and play much bigger, uh, higher stance, stuff like that. The, some some stuff that would keep my actually my upper body a bit more straight, and the leg work. He was uh, he was really big on uh, you know on playing on feet and uh, and. Um, yeah, so it was it was tough, but it was good that we had a few months to work on it, and uh, he helped me a lot. He was a great guy too, and uh, we had we had a good relationship with uh, Wally. It's just I mean, it's so funny now. Like six foot, um, it's hard to even get drafted in the NHL at six foot now, as we know. But when you talk about playing bigger, I think outside people outside the position who maybe don't understand it, they always think that means being aggressive, being further out in your crease. And so I find it fascinating to to hear you talk about even back then it was more about your posture and how you held yourself and how you presented yourself to the shooter. Cause I know one of Roly's rules, at least later on when he came into Vancouver was about not being too aggressive about having staying in the blue ice as part of your foundation. Yeah. The, the key for that is you, you need to have a, a good tracking because when you can track and you, if you play a bit deeper, especially in the NHL shots are too good, but it, it was it was great for me that uh, the the staff or at least at least Rolly was saying to me, yeah, if you get beat sometimes up high on a shot, we'll we'll live with it, you know. What we don't want is you sprawling around and having tap ins and empty nets all over, you know, and and those kind of things. So it was great, you know, for me to have that. Uh, the the coach was backing me up on this and being able to to really play that way. I'm I'm a big believer in this now and uh, uh, also now uh, for for my goal is uh, to play a bit uh, a bit deeper on the outside not not over challenging but challenging at the right time of course and uh, yeah my my tracking again I think my tracking was was pretty good so I I, I was a pretty good candidate to play that way. The trade to Washington and then finishing up in Chicago, some of the other voices that you got along the way was part of the process. You know, it's one of the things we see with guys is when they change teams, new voice, new goalie coach. Sometimes they want you to play a different way. You have to sort of trust your foundation, but also be willing to try new things. What were some of the other voices uh, in, in, in those years that, and what did they maybe add to your game as you, as you evolved in the National Hockey League? When, uh, well, in Washington, uh, it was, uh, we were like fighting for a playoff spot and uh, right into playoffs. So it was really game games and uh, probably but, not uh, changing much at that point, right? No, not changing much. And uh, it was great cooperation too. Uh, we, uh, we really, uh, it, it was pretty open minded, you know. And uh, in Chicago, uh, I had uh, Stefan Waite. It was a bit more challenging for me because I was not playing as well as I should, <laughs> but uh, he was he was backing me up a lot. I mean, Stefan was pretty big on technique, but you know all the all the 
the things you learn with the goalie coach add up. And I was listening and taking what was good in every every reach of a, one of them. And uh, so, you know, I was more of a complete uh, goalie. That's why I think goalies get a bit more uh, mature at a certain age because they, they pick up and they know what's good for them. And um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, I think I think Rolly was at the stage where he could help me a lot. After that, it was more like fine tuning, and 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 obviously was great goalie coach along the way. So now that you're goalie coaching, do you have to recognize like not just what you have as a goalie in terms of how they look technically, but where they are in their careers in terms of their maturity and and how much to tinker, how much to suggest? Is that as much about the person and their experience as it is about just? looking at the product between the pipes and how they play it all. Does that all sort of factor into those conversations? Well, yeah, you have to know your goalies for sure. Uh, know their strengths and uh, what they can improve. Uh, some, um, I have a pretty good example here. I have uh, Tobias Stefan who played a bit in the NHL and with Dallas and he's 37. So I used my background when I was 37 <laughs> playing and, you know, you have to also think about doing the right thing, maybe not as much as before, but make sure you do the right thing and, and get off the ice uh, when, uh, when, uh, when you have enough. And, uh, so, you know, th- those kind of things. And uh, obviously, the, the younger they are, the more you can put inputs in, into, into their games. Uh, after a while, I think it's, 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 it's fine-tuning and not changing them uh, a lot. Uh, I think uh, they've, they've been playing well over their careers and it's, it's pretty tough to, to change and uh, you don't want to change them too, too much, actually. The last, after you go back and play like almost another 10 years overseas or a full, like, yeah, pretty close to another 10 years, was that transition back hard at all? Like different style of game, different approach? Um, did you have to continue to, I mean, the position seems like it's constantly evolving. Did you have to continue to evolve playing all the way to 42 beyond, beyond adjusting, getting off the ice? Yeah. I mean, I was playing those world championship on big ice, probably closer to uh, European hockey. So not a big adjustment. I would say it's more the, the surrounding and uh, what's, uh, what's around the clubs, but uh, I um, I was I was playing in Switzerland before the NHL, so I knew, you know, I was not a newbie in that in that uh, part. And um, I was in Freiburg for a couple of years, um, up, ups and downs. But uh, when I went to to Lausanne and played in Lausanne, uh, I worked with Sebastian Beaulieu, who's uh, now goalie coach in Geneva. A Canadian guy is uh, very successful here in, in, in Europe, and uh, he was uh, great working with him. I have to say, I, I was able to keep a, a pretty high uh, standard of uh, the way I could play at uh, a certain age, and that's that's why I try to 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 do with uh, Michael, uh, who's thirty seven now. How have you seen the game change? Like I know. It, it, there's a there is a different style as you said. It's probably a little more pass happy over the pass 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 a little more east west. And yet, in the NHL, they talk all about east west too. Here, like the game is so dynamic, side to side for goaltenders. How have you seen it evolve in terms of how you coach it, how you teach it for goalies, and and where are we headed? Like, what's the what's the next step? 
Well, I think you see a lot of more uh, NHL going to the European, uh, you know, hockey now with the passing and uh, less hooking and and so much skills. Like it's really amazing the the, the skill level in the NHL and the the, the shots. You know, uh, like there's there's that's great hockey. I'm 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 pretty amazed by the level of the NHL now. Um, in Europe too, I have to say we have we have pretty good players, of course. They have a downside to their game. That that's why they're not in the NHL. But um, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. It's uh, the game is different here. I have to say because it's 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 more of a attack. You're either attacking or defending. The ice is so big that uh, when you don't have the puck, you really have to you know almost go back. There's less for checking, a bit less for checking, and less error. So it's uh, attack, defend kind of stuff. On the power play, you can see uh, the same tendencies as the NHL, a lot of passing and through the box and, and stuff like that. So I think for uh, North American and European, uh, the standards are the same and the direction of goaltending is heading the same way in that matter. When we talk about that direction, I mean, it, it kind of reminds you of what you talked about with Roley on the skates and, and, yeah, and beating exactly. plays that way. Is that is that what you see now too? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, I'm... I think it's uh, it's uh, not so much uh, as sliding. You can't slide. They're gonna pick you off the pads, going the wrong direction. And now it's it's really uh, being able to 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 beat the pass and and uh, and also your arm reacting. And I mean that's why the, the goalies are are better athletes. Also, they 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 need to be really really top shape to 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 react and. Um, moving and uh you know uh, it's uh it's uh it's pretty uh, demanding when you see the quality of the players now as a coach we hear a lot too now um in addition to the need for beating plays on the skates and like you said not sliding too much we hear a lot about patience patience on your edges in terms of not committing down before you move patience off the release how do you i'm, I'm curious because i think patience is something that you know, remembering back to watching you play that I think would be, would have been a strong attribute for you. It was a big part of your game. How do you coach that? How do you teach it? How do you get a goalie to, other than telling them, because we hear it a lot, right? Just stand up longer. Real easy to say, real hard to do. How do you teach patience? Well, it's, uh, it's a bit of uh, being, being student of the game, knowing when the guys, uh, what, what are the guys option and, uh, it's it's pretty tough to to teach. I have to say, it's it's one of the hardest thing to teach because it's um, it's also a gamble. Sometimes you don't want to get you know beat uh, through the five hole because you're you're too patient, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, on the same talk, I think I was beat a lot through the five hole because I was <laughs> I was playing games a bit. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because I had this discussion with a goalie coach recently and. He said that sometimes you have to, as a goalie coach, sometimes you have to have that fight in the coach's room because it does go through the five hole or the guy doesn't get to the ice. But if you're going to yell at them and insist that nothing goes through them, the expense of that will be patience. So that sometimes you have to live with that. Like you said, just like Rolly said, sometimes pucks are going to go in here. If we're going to insist that they stay patient, sometimes those pucks might go in along. Is that part of the process? Understanding that 
there's always give and take, and this might be something we can live with every once in a while if it gets us more patience everywhere else. I think the role of the goalie coach is uh, to understand why it's the goalie, you know, letting a goal or making a save. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty tough for coaches to understand that, that part, of course. And uh, yeah, for sure, it's our job to, to explain or, or let them know what, why this happened. And um, I mean, I've never really had a fight with the, the coaches, to be honest with you. Uh, of course, there are some arguments and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I hope it's not going to come too much, but uh, we're here for that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't mean like a fight. Like I, I meant more like you have to battle and show them, yeah, hey, yeah. like, you no. know, because that, that cliche, it, it became a cliche, right? Nothing through you, nothing through you. And sometimes yeah. that can create a bit of a tense blocking mentality, I guess is what I meant. Yeah. Well, nothing through you for sure. I mean, the, the coach are always going to say that's, uh, that's, uh, and, and the goalie coach too. I mean, it, it is true. You don't want to have anything through you for sure. Uh, you know, uh, if there is a passing option and then you, you, you really try to be patient and you get beat by a good shot, quick shot, five all that, that can happen for sure. Um, on clean shots, no option. That's a different situation. Of course, uh, I'm, I'm going to be, and probably go, go his nose is you should have it or stuff like that. So most of the times you don't really have to discuss that with the goalies because they know, they know. Yeah the last part of that is, is like the situations and you talked about patience and teaching. It's about anticipating and reading my last question for you. Um, that reading of the game, I guess would have come somewhat naturally to you because you, you weren't overcoached at a young age. You, you had to learn to read the game and battle for goalies that might maybe not do it as well. Now, can you teach that? Can you teach anticipation and reading the game? Can you use video and scenarios to help them become more aware or do some guys just have it? Well, I think you can. You can. You can. I wouldn't say teach it, but you can uh, have trails where there is different options uh, for players. You can also make players sell you something and you know in, involve a pass. Uh, it shouldn't be a you know pass where it's a tap in, but maybe a, a bit wider or a bit further away from the net that the, the goalie has a chance to to react to it, but. Uh, um, you know, position of the stick, uh, the eyes of the player, uh, position of the puck and stuff like that, that you can actually talk to them and, and, and maybe let them, let them understand a bit that the position of the puck is going to decide a bit uh, what are the options for the players, of course. And, and, and you know, taking information, always taking information, make sure you know where the guys are on the ice, lefties, righties, and uh, and stuff like that. But um, it's a long process. The more the more they play, the more they learn, and uh, feedbacks and stuff like that can help for sure. How old are the kids, and how did they talk you into playing goalie? My kids? Yeah, you said they were both goalie. You said your kids were goalies. I was surprised because a lot of goalies don't let their kids become goalies. How did it happen to you? Uh, I didn't want them to be uh, to be goalies. <laughs> But uh, I told uh, the first one, I told him, uh, we'll see when you're going to turn seven. And the day of his birthday, he said, well, okay, can I go now? So I was, uh, he really wanted to do that. So, you know, they have to do what they, what they love. And uh, 
they actually love it. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them that they can, they can do their passion. But you were so laid back as a goalie. Is it a little harder to be laid back as a goalie parent? It's, uh, it's harder. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for my parents now, for sure. Uh, I love it. And I'm sure they're proud. And, and um, such a big moment coming up in May, Cristobal. Congratulations again on a remarkable career, uh, on, on blazing a trail for other goalies from France and other players from France, and clearly having a passion for the position because you're still involved in it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. I know our audience is going to love this, and I appreciate the time. It was good to catch up. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Always a pleasure. I was kind of hoping that you'd throw in some French, Woody. Do you, do you uh, have the, uh, you parlez, have the range? Uh, je ne parlez-vous le français. Oh, that's pretty good. No, no, exactly. Yeah. The most judgmental Hutch has ever been right there. <laughs> Yeah, and all I can do is like fake the accent well enough that people think think I know how to speak French, and I actually don't. So, uh, but uh, but it's it's fun to sit here and judge uh, Woody. <laughs> I do it all the time. He's either uh, got a pee goalie dance guy. Uh, what do we got going on on the uh, on, on the website right now? Uh, when we when we're perusing Ingle Mag. Uh, well, we're, we'll have soon uh, Thomas Millich. The interview from last week. Actually, by the time people listen to this, hopefully it'll be up. Uh, just working on it right now. Uh, we talked about the way he uses the overlap, the way he flattens it out into more of a panda, uh, the success he had with it at World Junior. So he walked through some video of that. That's coming up soon. Uh, latest pro reads was Scott Wedgwood, um, you know, a guy who continues to have success with the Dallas Stars, uh, coming off a shutout as we as we publish that one. Um, so yeah, there's just a, just that steady flow of things that will make you better as a goaltender up at ingoalmag.com. Spent some time with Dustin Wolf yesterday. Um, didn't get as oh, much good. video as I would have liked, but we'll be catching up with him soon for some more pro reads. We don't normally like, and this isn't by design in terms of eh, we only cover the NHL snottery. Um, we just have, have more access to NHL goalies. So we haven't taken pro reads into other venues, but after doing the one with Millich, um, and it was more of a technique versus pro read thing, but there was game footage in there. Uh, I think we're going to hit up Wolfie. Guy's dominating the American Hockey League again for a second straight season, coming off a basically his his true rookie season last year, and he wins the goalie of the year award. He's having another great one this year down there. Um, I'm I'm uh, I've got access to the AHL account. I'm going to dig up some footage. We're going to hit him on a pro reads too. Uh, my buddy Darren Elliott, the Olympian uh, from 1984 National Hockey League, uh, Southpaw, uh, just uh, got to watch Dustin in person for the first time uh, a couple of times last week. Came away really impressed. I had really a impressed. I had a goalie coaches over here for the first time um, from from pro leagues overseas working in the American Hockey League, and uh, that's the one. Like that's pretty much a universal thing. Like, hey, who in, who watching around the league and now in the league, who impresses you? And the first one that stands out all the time, he's like, oh, that Dustin Wolf. Yeah, Hutch, you done scraping your crease? Sorry, I'm just stuck here on Winnipeg goalie dance. Have uh, you got down the rabbit hole? So I'm watching oh, he's- everybody. It's still on. It's still on. I'm on Connor Hellebuck right now. And, you know, not only can I enjoy Connor scraping his crease, I'm thinking I did those Winnipeg uh, third jerseys with the the blue jersey and the red pants. Like, I'm I like that. So, yeah, I'm just having fun. You guys carry on. We may see him for a week. No, it is funny how many (laughs) different ways there are to scrape your crease and and how many different routines there are and what guys do first and the different rituals that go into the start of a period for guys. This has brought a whole new 
a window to the position. I want to talk to some young guy and find out why they still even do it. Because I did it way back in the day because, well, two reasons. Um, I sharpened my skates once a year. So if I didn't scrape up the crease, I would just sort of slide into the corner. So I needed something to grab. And uh, and then you want to get rid of all water. that water, that, too, because it was going to soak into the leather gear, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, now it's just warm warm yourself up. I don't know. Anybody who's younger than 30. Okay, so they, actually, there's a good question here. Maybe I need to start looking at this, because are there any guys in the show that don't? Um, I mean, I'm at every Canucks game. I need to start having a quick look, like, because anybody just want that fresh ice slide as much as you can. And and to, to bring this back to, we started talking about in-goal content. Don't forget, Carter Hart. Dustin Wolf, um, both do, they have got a routine that ends with a little jump. Um, so when mm. we talk about hype level and getting yourself set for locked in for a period, uh, if you're an Ingold Magazine subscriber, make sure you go back on the website and search up Carter Hart and Dustin Wolf and the word jump, and you'll see both of those stories in terms of their crease movement patterns heading into a game, first period, and then each and every subsequent period and why they do that. I'm going to overthink this. Some gear. Some gear slides better on fresh ice and some gear slides better on scraped up ice. So that would also well, be interesting. I, I think what a most hole. gear should slide on scraped up ice the best because that's what you're going to be playing on the most. Right? Should. should. So maybe that's why you still scrape it up a little. Otherwise, you might be in that corner. So I, I the, the interesting mm-hmm. thing to me too here is, and this is one factor that a lot of people are probably like, well, hey, like NHLers play on perfect ice. No, they don't. Yeah, no, uh, no, they don't. Here in Vancouver, where they relative here in Vancouver, where you would assume, although the rain plays a big role in this, but here in Vancouver, where we used to have really good ice, um, I've got a. It's really not good anymore. I don't know where it ranks amongst the league, but they need to spend a bunch of money on a new dehumidifier, and they haven't yet. And I am hearing visiting goalies constantly talking about how soft the ice is to the point. Some of them are having to change up their regular sharpenings. Mm. And I would be curious how often that happens around the league. And as I say, I would be curious to know. It's like, hey, guess what? Everybody's going, you're the guy in the room. Dummy, start asking the question. So I think I'll start doing that because um, I have I have heard a couple guys come in. And I don't know if this is just because the ice here has gotten to that degree of bad. Um, but they've talked about having to change their sharpenings. I wonder how common that is around the league. So that might affect how much you scrape up your crease. If the if it's just super soft, um, you don't want to dig in too much. That's interesting because that reminds me of two things I just want to hop on here real quick. I remember from uh, the Eli Wilson, Carey Price day, Carey talking about how Montreal's trainer would have different sharpening levels depending yes. on the building they were going into. Those so that was something in out, dialed right? into. Yeah, yeah. So um, that is something that for sure happens around the league. And that reminds me that when we were at the Carey Price Day for the first time, that is when we met Mr. Peter Martin of Pro Skate Goal in Calgary. And we need to thank Peter for uh, being the guy that sort of connected us with Cristobal Huey. I know, Woody, that you've known him for a long time. But but Pete sort of opened the door for us as well. He's been a good friend to the show for a very long time. And he was Cristobal's playing partner in Switzerland. And Cristobal will tell you that he cost Pete two championships in Switzerland. When Pete first went over there, Pete was on the opposite bench when Cristobal won the championship. Then Pete ended up on the same team, and they lost in the final. So I, oh, I, it, sound, it sounds that's like that may, might be a running joke between the two of them. Um, but as Cristobal said, and as we know firsthand, uh, he always has time for Pete. Uh, one of the great guys around the game, one of the great guys in the goalie world. 
Uh, and thanks again to Pete for helping facilitate that interview. Uh, you're right, Hutch. I did know Cristobal a little bit. And turns out I actually had a contact for him. Uh, but whether he would have answered my call is, is a question that we'll, <laughs> we'll have to leave up in the air. He, there was no hesitation. Took seconds after Pete reached out so we could get him on to congratulate him no for the doubt. IIHF Hall of Fame honoring. Um, and uh, so thanks to Pete again for, for always being such a good friend of Bingo Magazine. We appreciate it, buddy. I just typed uh, Uwe's name into my phone. Guess what happened? You guys aren't going to believe this. You got it too. No. What's that? No. I don't have his number. I just thought <laughs> <it was. laughs> I'm not nearly as connected as you. Not, not, not a chance. But Pete, I love you. Uh, that's a, the method to our rambling is we get all the way around it. Uh, I don't have anybody's number. Uh, thanks to uh, Cristobal away, uh, Cam, and uh, you, the listener, for being on this journey. Love it. And uh, send us your crease movements or, or what you do uh, to, to scrape the crease or why you do it and, and what your routine is. And and follow that. What's that account? Uh, we there we are. Yet. There we are. I guess I haven't heard your broadcast voice and, in a while. And, 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 and Stuart Skinner's mustache. And Stuart Skinner's mustache. And if you want to contact us, how do you get in touch with us? Uh, info at ingoldmag.com. Oh, man. I was, wasn't, I haven't no, done you that haven't done weeks. It weeks. We're Let's, talking months. We got to yeah. hear it. Months? Yeah. Give us the broadcast voice. The best place to contact us is on all of our socials. Leave your comments. But you could also reach out to podcast at ingoldmag.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. I so <laughs> want to fill in for Darren on a Vegas broadcast one day. I'm just auditioning my voice. You're hired. Talk to you next week. <laughs>